This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. All right, everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm Abdullah Samir Ayman al-Shaytan wa Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa ra'udwani ila ala al-zalimeen. Wa ra'akhibatu al-muttaqeen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barika rabbika wa rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. Alhamdulillah, we are back uh, at, for Quran 30 for 30, and we have our first repeat guest. We have Ustad Tasneem al Qiq, soon to be Doctora Tasneem al Qiq, inshallah, uh, joining us uh, tonight uh, for this juz. And I want to start off with another, uh, with, with, with another Bushra, another glad tidings of this era. Um, great news that we had a sister that attended uh, Quran 30 for 30. She's been attending Sister Andrea from Ohio, uh, and she was actually in the comments yesterday in SubhanAllah, about four hours ago, took Shahada as well over Zoom, alhamdulillah. So Sister Andrea, may Allah bless you. I know she's, she's watching tonight, actually. May Allah bless you, keep you sincere, steadfast, and firm. Amen. So please pray for her uh, to be from the people of Quran and to have uh, beauty and ease in this, in, this, in this journey of hers. Allahumma ameen. Amen. So tonight is one of my... Um, it is actually probably my favorite juz because there are two very particular Sahaba stories that uh, that are very touching in this story. And if you realize the first third of the Quran is actually the story of Islam unfolding. And subhanAllah, that's something that one of my teachers pointed out to me uh, early on. He said the first third of the Quran is the story of Islam. And then you kind of have all of the things that come after that, that speak to uh, the admonitions and the laws and the development and things that we can take, which shows you the centrality of the seerah of the Prophet the biography of the Prophet and understanding the hadith and understanding the Qur'an itself, knowing the seerah uh, background. So the 10th juz of the Qur'an uh, starts from the last part of Surah Al-Anfal, which is verse 41, and it goes into verse 92 of Surah At-Tawbah. Um, as we said, it comes off of the lengthiest discourse on the Battle of Badr and how the Muslims are after the Battle of Badr, hence the uh, the name of the surah, uh, the spoils, and Anfal. And as the Muslims are called to honor the treaties, to not break them as long as the other party honors them as well, uh, to treat the prisoners of war well, finally the Muslims are called to stand together and to join together as one community against those uh, who wish them harm from the outside. And so there are a few themes that I'm going to hit on inshallah and, ta'ala, and then some stories that really come in this juz. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in verse uh, 56, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a group of disbelievers who are despised. And particularly, he says, they're the ones that you make treaties with, but then they break their pledge. They break the treaty every single time. And they don't have any fear uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they're going to keep on breaking the treaty. The interesting thing is that still uh, the believers are called to reciprocate good with good and to always lead the way when it comes to uh, er er issues of peace. So in verse 60, these two verses, 60 and 61, are so important to be read together. In verse 60 of Surah Al-Anfal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, To show and prepare your strength, demonstrate strength and courage and, uh, and, and uh, a lack of fear and vulnerability when you meet your enemies. Be prepared. Be prepared from a military sense. Be prepared from a spiritual sense. You know, be prepared for a worst case scenario and don't show your enemies any type of weakness. Instead, show your enemies that you're ready, that you're strong and that you can defend yourself. And that should 
a war take place, that you will be able to stand up for yourself as a community. And the very next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن جَنَحُوا لِسَلْمِ فَجْنَحْ لَهَا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ And if they incline to peace, then you incline to it also. And rely upon Allah. Indeed, it is He who is hearing and known. SubhanAllah, the very famous verse that gets thrown in the face of the Muslims to slay them wherever you find them is in, is in the same juz. It's in the beginning of Surah At-Tawbah, verse 5, to kill them wherever you find them. It's literally talking about not just enemy troops, the enemy troops who broke their treaty and, and attacked the Muslims, and actually non-Muslims as well, right? Attacked people after breaking the treaty. So it's not just people that are opponents in war. It's people that were opponents of war, took a treaty with you, broke the treaty, and continued to kill. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them the permission, gives the Muslims the permission to fight back. So you can't read, kill them wherever you find them, and then ignore the verses that come just you know, in the same section before that say, if they incline towards peace, you should always incline towards peace as well. In verse 70, one of my favorite stories in, uh, in this surah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says, uh, oh, you, O Prophet, say to whoever is in your hands of the captives, if Allah knows of any good in your hearts, He will give you something better than that which was taken away, and He will forgive you, and Allah is forgiving and merciful. Say, so, so the Prophet ﷺ is being told to be gentle with the captives, but to particularly say to the captives that if Allah knows of something good in your hearts, not only are you going to come out of this and be forgiven, but Allah is going to give you better than that which was taken away. This verse was revealed, uh, verse 70, uh, about the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Al-Abbas. Al-Abbas was you know, on the other side on the Battle of Badr. But the Prophet said, some people There's some people that were forced to come out to fight the Muslims. They had no interest whatsoever in killing uh, the Muslims. And when he showed up at the Battle of Badr, uh, he literally just stood there. He didn't attack anybody, right? He was like an, an idol. That's how he was described, Sanaman. And so there was a, a companion who was actually very small in stature. And Al-Abbas was a huge man. And the, this companion was Abu Yusr al-Sulami, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He went up to Al-Abbas and he jumped on him. Like imagine a, a smaller stature man jumping on his back and tying him up and trying to wrap him all up to take him as a captive. And the Sahaba saw Abu Yusr pulling him, uh, pulling Al-Abbas to the other side. And they were like, wait, what? how did that even happen? How did you capture him? And uh, Abu Yusr, he said, uh, you know, He said, there was a man that helped me capture him. Because even if an Abbas wasn't fighting, there's no way Abu Yusur could tie him up and capture him, capture him that way. So he said, someone helped me and I'd never seen him before. The Prophet ﷺ said, That it was a noble angel that assisted you in capturing Al-Abbas. And the scholars say that Allah wanted Al-Abbas captured early so that no one would kill him. So the Prophet ﷺ, uh, has his uncle now as a captive. And this was painful for all of the people, all of the Muslims, that their their loved ones who came out to fight them were now their captives. This was the first time they were going to experience that. And the Prophet ﷺ felt great pain uh, hearing, you know, Anin al-Abbas fi wathaqihi, the groaning of al-Abbas, as he was tied up. And the Prophet ﷺ, any uh, concession that he gave to al-Abbas, he gave to all of the prisoners of Badr. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ, 
tried whatever he could. You know, if you can teach 10 people how to read, then you can go free. Uh, there were various ways of ransom that were unknown to the Arabs that the Prophet Sallallahu was giving uh, to try to ease the situation. And when he came to Al-Abbas, uh, Al-Abbas, he, he told his uncle, ransom yourself. And Al-Abbas said, I don't have that kind of money. The Prophet said, where is that money that you hid, you and Umm Al-Fadl, uh, your wife, that, and you told her, if I'm killed, then save this for my son Al-Fadl. Al-Abbas said, Ya Rasulullah, no one knew about that money except for me and my wife. How did you know? And the Prophet said, ransom yourself with that. Al-Abbas uh, was said to the Prophet you know that I didn't actually come here to fight you, right? That this was something that I was pushed into. Allah revealed, if Allah knows of that good in your heart, Allah will give you back what you lost and better than it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you. Al-Abbas said, Wallahi, I never got richer than I did after the Battle of Badr. Allah replaced everything he took away from the ransom with so much more. And Al-Abbas was so rich that in the, in the last sermon of the Prophet wasallam, the Prophet وسلم, uh, relinquished all of the loans that were due to Al-Abbas the riba in particular, the interest that was due to Al-Abbas so that's uh, Surah Al-Anfal. Then we get into Surah Al-Tawbah. In brief, why is there no basmana, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim in Surah Al-Tawbah? There's an authentic narration uh, in a Tirmidhi that Ibn Abbas, anhuma, he said, I asked Uthman ibn Affan, anhu, why there was uh, no basmana. And Uthman anhu, basically said that unlike the Sab'atliwal, which are the long surahs, the seven long surahs, uh, Al-Anfal and Al-Tawbah were like one surah. So it's almost as if they're one surah because they're referring to the same context. And so they didn't put the basmala because of the continuation of it, as if it's one uh, surah uh, between the two. At-Tawbah was revealed after Tabuk. So it's way after Al-Anfa. And uh, Tabuk was uh, a battle where the Muslims had planned uh, to squander an attack that was expected from the Romans, from the Byzantines. And so the Prophet ﷺ marched in the heat with 30,000 soldiers to occupy it. Uh, but it ended in no battle and no bloodshed. But still, there was a great lesson to the believers. In verse 25 of Surah At-Tawbah, Allah mentions the only other battle by name in the Qur'an. So there's Badr, and then there's Hunayn, the battle of Hunayn. Allah says, وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنٍ إِنْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ فَلَمْ تُغْنِي عَنْكُمْ شَيْهَا And on the day of, of Hunayn, when your great number pleased you, but it did not avail you at all. So the, the lessons of Badr were, you were outnumbered, but Allah gave you victory. The lessons of Hunayn is that you had great numbers, but the Muslims struggled mightily in Hunayn. And Allah says, أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ You were impressed. You looked around and said, we outnumber them, right? So we must, this is, this is in the bag. It's an easy battle, right? And Allah was teaching them a lesson. It never was about your number. It was always about Allah's blessing with you. And do not let your impression uh, lead to a sense of arrogance, right? That you depend upon your strengths. So Allah reminding uh, the believers not to get, uh, not to become uh, proud or not to develop a sense of conceit uh, due to the uh, the numbers that they have. And then subhanAllah in verse 40, the story of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the cave with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I know I'm going over time, so I'm just going to rush this really quick. Uh, there's a lot in this surah about the hypocrites. Allah makes it clear that Surah At-Tawbah is about the munafiqeen. Where does the story of Abu Bakr anhu come from, right? In the hijrah out of all places. Because Allah is reminding the, 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 the people 
that, you know, when no one would go with the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr anhu was there with him in the cave. When he said to his companion, do not grieve, verily Allah is with us. Okay, so that's the story of Abu Bakr suddenly from the Hijrah, which has nothing to do with the rest of the context that's plugged here. What's the wisdom of that? Verse 42, just two, the, the verse literally that comes after this, uh, Allah talks about the hypocrites that are the opposite of Abu Bakr. They swear, They swear that If we could, we would go out with you, O Messenger of Allah. Right? So they're the opposite of Abu Bakr who went out with the Prophet despite all obstacles. The hypocrites keep making excuses to not accompany the Prophet in verse 55, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that do not uh, let their wealth or their children impress you. Allah only intends to punish them through that in this worldly life. So remember we talked about barakah yesterday, blessing and wealth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't be impressed by their wealth and their power. Allah is merely punishing them with their wealth and their power. And then I'll end with this inshallah, verse 79. Verse 79 is the hypocrites mocking the believers. And they mock the believers, particularly, uh, they do lems, which is to, to belittle them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they're not belittling any believers. They're belittling the ones that actually went forth and contributed and, and, and worked with the Prophet They belittle them concerning their charities. And they criticize the ones who find nothing to spend except for their effort, meaning they say, what, what good is that that they went out with the Prophet anyway? So they belittle them. They mock their efforts. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So they ridicule the believers that are doing something. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ridicules them. And there are two things you'll always find in the hypocrites. And I know that Sister Tasneem is going to talk about this, inshallah. Two things that are inherent in this surah. Number one, they mock the efforts of the doers as being flawed and insignificant while having no effort of their own to be mocked. <laughs> That's the first thing. So they keep mocking. They say, oh, what's the good of that anyway? They're not doing anything anyway. There's no point in that anyway. They mock the doers amongst the believers while they have nothing to be mocked in the first place. The second thing, they blame the circumstances around them for their own inaction. And then they make these lofty claims that if the circumstances were different, we would surpass everyone with our deeds. So if things were different, we would do this and we would do that. Sounds a lot like a lot of people, right? Like just poke, 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 poke. Now that's not to say everyone who does these two things is a munafiq. That's just to say that these are signs of hypocrisy that a person could become, uh, could, could become uh, uh, immersed in this. And verse 92, subhanAllah, refers to the two men who wanted to accompany the Prophet sincerely, but they had legitimate excuses. And Allah writes down the full reward for them. So I know I took extra time, and inshallah ta'ala, uh, I know that it'll be beautified, inshallah ta'ala, with what Shaykh Abdullah and Sister Tasneem will share. So tafadl, Shaykh Abdullah. I mean, what, what can I say? That's what the Quran does to you, man. You start, you don't want to stop. You really, really don't want to stop. You just want to, um, I keep going. So I'm just going to cover, mashallah, a verse. Um, it's a beautiful verse. It's, it's talking about, Masajid. And I, I chose this verse because firstly, this chapter, subhanAllah, you know, it, it, there's nine names that some of the scholars mentioned that this chapter has. Um, and Toba was chosen because you find the word Toba mentioned multiple times in the Quran in different 
grammatic or different morphologic makeup. You know, ibun yatubu. So forgiveness or seek or repentance, excuse me, is mentioned 17 different times in this chapter. Hence, the chapter was given that name. Uh, they even call it uh, the the fadiha, the, you know, fadiha, the the chapter of embarrassment or embarrassing because. Allah mentions over 20 characteristics of the munafiqun, of the hypocrites. And remember, when we say hypocrites, it's not just someone that does what they don't, that, that says what they don't do. It's someone that hides disbelief in their heart and they do the opposite. And that's very important. As we talked about earlier, a couple of days ago, that, you know, in Mecca, it was people that were very apparent with their disbelief. And they would verbally and physically, even emotionally harm the Prophet But in this case, now in Medina, now they have strength. There are people that are joining Islam, but they are hiding in their hearts disbelief and planning and plotting against the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. Many of us heard the story of Hudayfa, a, a, a disciple named Hudayfa, that he was the only one that the 14 uh, uh, hypocrites were disclosed to them. Because when they were going out in the Battle of Tabuk, as he mentioned, when they were going north to Tabuk, which borders Saudi Arabia, uh, there were people that were still of the hypocrites. So when the Prophet ﷺ went to a certain area uh, to, to, to see, he, uh, subhanAllah, some of the hypocrites thought that they could try to kill him, and Hudayfa was with him. So when they plot and planned, they had their faces covered and they tried to kill him. They were not successful in doing so. In any case, that's when the Prophet ﷺ asked Hudayfa, do you know who they were? They were the hypocrites that were trying to kill me. In any case, when we see this chapter of Al-Munafiqun, we see this chapter that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the hypocrites. What's important here is that the Muslim distinguishes themselves from the people that may disguise or act as the hypocrites. And that's why subhanAllah is so beautiful that you'll see throughout the traditions of the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, which, which coincides with the Quran amongst over 20 characteristics that he mentions in this chapter alone, that you'll find even in the hadith where the prophet peace and blessings be upon him says, these are signs of a hypocrite. Not meaning that if you were to practice one of those things, you are automatically a hypocrite from a spiritual perspective. No, it's be on the lookout and see how you are acting with others to make sure it is not the action of someone that plots and plans within their hearts against Islam. And that's very important. One of the strongest signs that a community can establish is maintenance of the masjid. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here in the Quran, after Audhu Billah min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, in verse number 18, إِنَّمَا يَعْمُرُ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَقَامَ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَ الزَّكَاةَ وَلَمْ يَخْشَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَعَسَى أُولَٰئِكَ أَنْ يَكُونُوا مِنَ الْمُهْتَدِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this verse right after mentioning that the people that have a polytheistic practice, they should not be the ones to maintain the houses of Allah because the houses of Allah are just that. They're places where a Muslim exemplifies their, 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 their belief in Islam, their creed, by praying five times a day, by making dhikr, by, by, you know, by remembering Allah verbally, physically, emotionally, all at one time, primarily in the first pillar of the second pillar of Islam, which is the prayer. And that's one of the best forms of exemplification of the first pillar, because you're moving all of your limbs and your heart is, is awake and attentive. So Allah says, And Ya'mru, we know the name Umar. Umar means someone that has a long lifespan, inshallah and khair. So someone that not only establishes, but maintains the houses of Allah. So when we see the word Umar or Imara means building. It is something that when the Muslim is there, they maintain it. Not just building the structures, 
but being someone that is consistently there going back and forth and praying there and having events there, so on and so forth. Now that we are here currently at home and we're not able to do that, it's very important that the other characteristics are at, that are after that are still maintained amongst ourselves, inshallah ta'ala. He said, the ones that maintain the houses of Allah are the ones that believe in Allah and the last day and they establish their prayer and they pay their zakat and they fear none except Allah. So those people are the ones that believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they believe in the last day, being that there is a day that will everything will perish and everything will have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They believe that there is a day of accountability. But in this life, they do actions to make sure that when that day comes, that they're in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he is pleased with them. In any case, that the characteristics of the people, of the ones that will maintain the houses of Allah are the ones that believe in Allah, have this conviction, and they believe in the last day, and they pray, which is an action of showing of that, and they establish, they give the zakat, and they fear none but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because perhaps they will be of those who are the muhtadin. And as we mentioned earlier, guidance. These will be the actions of the people of guidance. So with that, I want to conclude, inshallah, being that we at our homes now, we long to go to the masjid. We long to go to the mosque. But recognize and realize, for those that are not at the mosque because, you know, boards have closed them down for an Islamic reason, a maqsad shari, an Islamic objective, which is preservation of life and taking the means in doing that. But the heart that is tied to the masjid, inshallah, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those seven that are under the shade of Allah, of his throne, on the day that there is no shade except that shade, rajulun qalbuhu masjid. A man or a woman that his heart or her heart clings to the masjid. So just remember that your intention, you will be rewarded for it. And the sharia, if you have an intention of doing something and you were prohibited from doing that, it is as though you have done it. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that preserve the masjids, even if we are far away, but we can still uh, donate to those beautiful causes of maintaining these beautiful places known as the places of sujood, which are the places of prostration, the masjid. Barakallahu feekum. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Barakallahu Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. And subhanAllah, like you said, it's not about the actual action being performed. Because right after Allah talks about those hypocrites that made excuses not to do anything and that they would be punished for that. Allah talks about those two men that wanted to go with the Prophet and couldn't do it and getting the full reward without any deficiency whatsoever. So it's about the intention and the soundness of the intention that manifests itself in certain behaviors. So inshallah, uh, Sister Jasneem, uh, take us away, inshallah. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Um, as always, you guys uh, warmed that up really well for me. Uh, I wanted to highlight the aspect of intention to some degree. So in Surah At-Tawbah, where you have the story of the Battle of Tabuk that Shaykh Umar had mentioned, that that's happening. And essentially what's going on is that the Prophet ﷺ is going to meet with the believers, the Romans, uh, or what, what was supposed to be with the Romans. And of course, in that, all of the people uh, who are you know, outwardly Muslim are invited to come to come and join in that. Now, of course, what happens is that you have the munafiqun, the hypocrites. What they do is, you know, they put up every excuse possible. You know, so the Prophet is preparing everyone, all of the believers to come through. And, you know, suddenly the, a lot of the hypocrites come up and they, they tell the Prophet all these different excuses. You know, sorry, can't really make it. You know, the sitter canceled, whatever it was. All of these different excuses to basically say, we're not showing up. We're not coming to fight. We don't really believe in you. Uh, and this is not something we're willing to risk our lives for. 
course they don't say that. And the Prophet being who he was, uh, he, he essentially forgives them or doesn't push, push them to come. And so what you see in, the, in a passage in Surah At-Tawbah is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first says, you know, that, that tells the Prophet that, you know, you shouldn't have forgiven them. And, and he follows that up by saying, you know what, even if they did come, even if they did show up, even if they didn't make up these excuses, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that had they actually wanted to come, they would have made those preparations. Allah hated for them to come and didn't basically want them to interfere and ruin things because he knew their true intentions. But I want to focus here on, on the very beginning of this, this ayah, which is very powerful, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if they really wanted to go out, if they really wanted to go out here in the context of the battle, they would have prepared for it a preparation, right? Not just la'addu, they would have prepared for it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes it. They would have really done something if they actually wanted to go. I want that to settle in. Because basically what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they had no intention of going. They put, they did nothing, they, they, they prepared nothing to make it clear that they had any intention, any desire to join the Prophet Now, I want to sort of remove that from the context of this battle of the, the hypocrites for a second and think about how this ayah, which, you know, is seemingly so tied to a specific context, is so relatable for us today. Because basically what's happening is that there is an event happening. There's a goal in place. There's something, there's a plan in place. And that the, the, the hypocrites made up excuses, didn't want to do anything, and never really worked towards that plan. So when we think of it in the context of our lives today, is that when, when we set goals, when we set plans, that there, there's an expectation that you're doing something to prepare for that, right? And so, again, this is just to, to really relate to something that is, is very much contextual. The, the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing this up, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is recognizing that you can have, you know, you can say whatever you want, but if you don't have an intention, and on top of that, if you don't have a plan in place, what does that mean? And that's something that I really think that is relevant to us, especially in Ramadan. Now, this can be taken across, you know, for anything, right? This can be taken, whether if our school life, our work life, but I want to focus specifically on our spiritual life, right? We're in Ramadan, subhanAllah, we're already almost 10 days in. We've got, we've had a lot of goals set for this Ramadan. You know, we've, we, the last 10 nights, alhamdulillah, we probably have plenty more goals. And that's great. But if we don't actually, we can have the intention that, you know, all the intentions we want, but if we don't do something to prepare for those goals, we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? Because at the end of the day, if we don't have something to show for it, then there, there's only so, so much effort we actually put in. We just made those excuses to ourselves when that time came because we weren't prepared and we didn't end up meeting those goals, right? And so that's exactly what happened in Munafiqun. They had no preparation. They had no intention of doing anything. So it's no surprise that they weren't able to achieve those goals. And so it's it's super important. And I, I could talk a lot about this, but I, I will um, switch over just for the sake of time. But having, when we think about those goals, think about all those different excuses that are probably gonna come up, you know, for the last 10 nights of Ramadan, Ramadan, if you're planning on doing taraweeh, if you're planning on doing qiyam, if you know it's just Ramadan and you're trying to memorize a few ayats, a few verses of the Quran every single day, if you have those goals in mind, 
think about all those excuses that can come to mind and what you're going to do when those excuses come up, but also seriously consider that you need to have a plan in place. And now going back to the context of the munafiqun, of the hypocrites, what happens next, right? So the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds and says, well, they, you know, they, they didn't even prepare for it. And besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew their intentions, knew their malicious intent, and, and, and uh, they, they, weren't, they, weren't met, they weren't decreed to go anywhere. Now, what, what, the, what comes next is the, the hypocrites say, uh, into, uh, uh, for the sake of time, I'll stick with the English, that basically whenever anything good happens to the believers, it hurts them, it harms them. But when something bad happens to them, you know, talking to the believers, if there's a musibah that happens, that befalls them, that this, this trial or anything that bad happens to them, they say, what do they say in response specifically in this context? They say, well, we took our precautions. We did what we needed to do. You know, you guys went out to battle Tabuk. You guys, if they, went, they came back victorious, that would have hurt them. But if they came back as losers, as what the, the hypocrites perceive to be a loss, they sit back all smug and say, well, good thing we didn't go. We took our precautions. We knew exactly what we're doing, right? And what happens after that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in response to this, he tells the, tells the believers, when, when the, the hypocrites do this, what do you say? That you, you say that nothing is going to happen to us except that which has been decreed for us. And, and upon Allah, we put our trust, right? And so, again, going back to sort of the example that I wanted to highlight here for, for the sake of really taking advantage of Ramadan is that, you know what, you're going to prepare. You're going to have all of these goals in mind and you're going to have sincere intention preparation but things might not go your way sometimes, right? But that doesn't matter because you've made that preparation, you've made that intention. Everything that does afflict you, that does get in your way, is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees. And what do you do in response? That you, play, you place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the cherry on top is the ayah that comes after us, right after this, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues. He tells the believers, what do you say? You, you tell the munafiqeen, the munafiqeen are think, the, the hypocrites are saying, you know, either they're going to come back and they're going to win, they're expecting two, one of two things. They're going to come back victorious, that's going to really affect us, we're not going to be happy about that, or they're going to come back as losers and we're going to be smug and happy. What does Allah to say? No, 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 you tell them what, what, what's really happening. That you're just sitting around waiting for only one of two things, one of two good things, right? We're, you're either going to win or you're going to win. As believers, you are never losing. When you put in that intention, you put in that preparation, you're always a winner. That either the Muslims were going to go out to the Battle of Tabuk and they were, come back, they were going to come back victorious. And you know what? Even if they came back having lost the battle, they are still victorious in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, that there's only good that happens. And you know what? If, if they, they, come, they come back, they don't come back because of death. Again, that's only a victory. If they go and they come in any situation, it's always just a win. And so to, to, to summarize and, and to tie it all together is that make those goals, prepare as much as you can, have the intention and really have something to show for that preparation, not just preparation, but you're preparing for a preparation. Emphasize it just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes in the Quran. And, and when things are going to happen, life happens, right? You know, kids are sick, you're exhausted, someone in your family's sick, something's happening with your job, whatever it is, 
know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that and put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and continue that and know that no matter what happens, as long as you have that preparation, you have that intention, you meet those goals, you memorize the Quran, you, you pray the Qiyam in the last 10 nights, guess, guess what? you're a winner only one thing that that good thing happened to you and you know what if you did what you had to do and you tried your best it's only one of two good things you're still victorious in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so keep that hopefully in mind as motivation to continue to push hard and no matter what as long as you have done your part you will be victorious inshallah in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ahsanti, Ahsanti. Jazakumullah khair. That was excellent. Uh, SubhanAllah. And just to remind everyone, sort of the take home, uh, this was my favorite session thus far. Subhanakallahu fikum. Uh, Allah did not give us the stories of Bani Israel so that we could mock a previous ummah, but to interrogate our own ummah, meaning ourselves, if we consider ourselves a part of it, to say, how do we do better? And Allah did not give us these examples of the munafiqeen for us to mock the hypocrites, but to interrogate ourselves with the qualities of hypocrisy. As Ibn Mas'ud said, no one is safe from hypocrisy or no one feels safe from hypocrisy except a hypocrite. And so I think it's befitting that we leave this session tonight with the reflection of the Prophet right, about the signs of the munafiq. When he speaks, he lies. And you see here that they were lying with very consequential things. Uh, when they make promises, they break their promises. And you see here broken promises in this first uh, few chapters. And when they're trusted with something, they break those trusts. So they violate the covenants. All three things that are prominent in the stories of the munafiqeen with big things here. And also some other qualities of hypocrisy, right? Like not wanting to see the believers do well. When you see someone making an effort and you want them to fail so that you can say, aha, I told you so, that's a sign of hypocrisy. We should want well, we should want everyone who's making an effort to do well. We should make dua for them. And when we see naqs, when we see shortcoming, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless them and to make it easy for them. And we should interrogate ourselves with hypocrisy, each and every single one of us. This isn't like a sword to come out with and say, munafiq, munafiq, munafiq. Just like with takfir, just like with kufr, the Prophet said, that, uh, you know, when he was asked, Man awla bishirk, who's closer to shirk when they throw out the claims of takfir, that you're a disbeliever? Uh, not the one who it's being thrown at, the one who's throwing it. Same thing with hypocrisy, that throwing those things at people usually is a sign of, of having that quality yourself. And that's what Allah may Allah subhanahu protect us. It is the worst state to be in. And, uh, you know, I found this very beneficial. So Jazakumullah khairan, uh, Sister Tasneem and Sheikh Abdullah for this session. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, protect us all from hypocrisy and protect us all from falling short in his sight. May Allah make us victorious in his sight. May Allah make us sincere in his sight. May Allah accept our efforts, even if they come short uh, in the actual achievement in the worldly sense. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not allow us to be impressed by our own capabilities, but instead to be guided by that which is pleasing to him. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to achieve that. Allahumma ameen. So jazakumullah khayran. Uh, and inshallah ta'ala, we'll see you all uh, tomorrow night. Sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabiyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taseeman kathira. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.